0: Okay, we're continuing to work our way through the plagues. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 9. And um, just a very brief, what are the plagues we've gone through? The first plague was the plague of turning water to blood. And and then we saw the second plague of the frogs. And I just can't imagine the frogs everywhere kind of a thing that that had to be and the mess that it was even after the aftermath of it. And Um, you know, Pharaoh, after the plague of the fogs, he says, okay, I'm going to let them go sacrifice. And that begins a pattern that we see where Pharaoh will say, yeah, as a result of the plague, you guys can go. And then he changes his mind, hardens his heart, is the biblical phrase for it that's correct. Both God and Pharaoh were involved with hardening of his heart, and he wouldn't let the people go. We get to the third plague, which is commonly called one of gnats. Um, In reading today, um, certainly um, they were bugs that were irritating, but uh, John MacArthur would make a strong case that these actually were mosquitoes, and uh, boy, that would get old fast. In Plague 3, it's interesting, there's no warning to Pharaoh. It's the first time it's that way, and all the dust turns to gnats, and this is the first one that the magicians could not duplicate. Duplicate, and they themselves said this is the hand of God. It's significant that they used a singular there. <coughs> I'm trying to put together as we go through these, kind of a summary point about these Egyptian gods um, that I want to bring up at the right time, not in the middle of today's lesson, but these gods, our our thoughts about gods in pagan places and pagan societies are often off a little bit. These gods permeated everything about Egypt. They permeated their culture. They permeated their daily life. It permeated the government and their politics. And so I want to spend some time with that later if I can get that to gel. Maybe it's, it's, it is not as important as some of the other things, so that may not come together, but if it does, I want to do that. But God keeps talking to Moses to tell Pharaoh, and the phrase becomes, "Thus says the Lord," and if you don't let my people go, more things will happen.ing The next one is the swarms of flies, probably a biting fly. It's in that that plague is the first time with the flies that we see it explicitly stated, and it didn't affect Goshen, didn't affect the Israelites. So God begins differentiating, and it looks like through the rest of the plagues, God differentiates. It's not always explicitly said, but it looks like God differentiates and does not bring his plagues to the people of Israel, to his servants. And so once again, Pharaoh says, go sacrifice, but stay in Egypt. And Moses said, No, that's not going to work. You won't like what we do in our sacrifices. The people won't. We will bring us in danger. And so Pharaoh relents, and yet, no good. But Moses did pray as a result of Pharaoh's request, the flies left, and then Pharaoh said no, which brings us to the fifth plague, which is where we're going to start in today. I'm going to start out by reading Exodus 9, 1 through 7, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel." And the Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So this is the fifth plague. The Lord again says to Moses, and the Lord here is Jehovah or Yahweh, Go tell Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, again, Jehovah, the God, the Elohim, the God Almighty of the Hebrews. Uh, And once again, this phrase reminds Pharaoh of who he's dealing with. He's he's not just dealing with... um, anything other than the one true living God. And God continues to hold that in front of him and makes it clear that this one true living God, the great God Almighty, is aligned with these Hebrews and God views them as his people and expects them to be available to go serve him. They're my servants. So let my people go so they can serve me. And in essence, you Pharaoh, you're standing between me and my people. And the implication, of course, is this is dangerous for you. I mean, it's outright said uh, it's it's a part of what will be brought up on you uh, is if you continue to refuse to let them go in verse two, uh, if you continue to hold them, you're doing this by your power, which is political. Now, Pharaoh's going to say his power is also comes from the gods of Egypt But from God's perspective, here is Pharaoh being immoral, unlawful, and restraining these people. And in verse 3 it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord will come against you. And these are significant words for the Egyptians. Because the language of Egypt is when Pharaoh was going to be in harsh punishment of somebody, or when he would come up against a foreign army and defeat them, it was always the hand of Pharaoh. And so this is uh, this is their common vernacular for the power of Pharaoh. And here we see God saying, Behold, the hand of the Lord will come against you, and the result will be severe pestilence for your livestock. That word pestilence. Anybody else have a different word translated there besides pestilence? Plague. If they use plague, that's great. That's a great word to put in the story of the plagues that God brought upon the land of Egypt in order to free his people uh, it's used as pestilence 47 times translated that way and once plague right here by many um, but uh... It, it, that's, a, that's a great word, I mean this is severe disease, severe troubles implies lots of death I mean what is a plague? When you talk about the great plagues of, of through time Uh, We associate that with a lot of death. (coughs) And so, um, here is this pestilence is going to come upon your livestock. And it says something interesting there in verse 3, and it may be significant (coughs) later on as we look in later in the chapter. Um, But it says, The pestilence on your livestock which are in the field. And that we're going to have a little bit of a challenge a little later in this chapter on other livestock losing their lives that belong to, or or being killed, that belong to uh, the Egyptians. So if we lose them all now, what livestock is later that could be lost in God's judgment? And so many look at this as saying, well, these are the ones not in the shelter, not in the barn. Uh, Often their barns were, for the smaller farmers anyway, in their houses. Uh, There was a section of the house where the animals could be brought in, but at any rate, uh, it's directed against the livestock in the field. Uh, The root of that word in the field, by the way, means to be spread out. Uh, Sometimes this is used as Plains versus mountainous country. But in this case, uh, I I don't know what to say. God lists them out. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, which would imply the cattle here. And the flock would be the sheep and the goats. And so this is going to be widespread against the animal kingdom. Verse 4, of course, God divides it out and says... Oh, but this isn't going to happen to any of the livestock of my servants, the sons of Israel. None will die there, which is more than just a protection from this pestilence. In any given day, do we have around, you know, if you look at the nation, imagine all the farmers and all the ranchers and everybody that's got, animals and livestock that they're working with. You suppose any of them just die without some form of pestilence? I mean, old age for a critter? uh, You know, all those kinds of things. I mean, some level of dying animals would be normal in a day. And the Israelites came over because they were herders. They were shepherds. And they had a lot of livestock that they brought with them. So this is more than just keeping them from the pestilence. Not one of their animals are going to die during the time of this pestilence brought on the Egyptian animals. And so God sets a definite time for this to happen according to verse 5. In other words, he's predicting it with clarity. He says it's going to happen tomorrow. The Lord will do this in the land. And this, of course, shows God's specific sovereignty he appoints a specific action for a specific specific time and it's differential. It doesn't go to both to all the people, but only but the Israelites are protected from that. In verse 6, the text tells us that God did it. We don't really have a time in here where Pharaoh responds. Uh, it just is done by God. And in verse 6 it says the Lord did this on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, and none of the livestock of the Israelites died. And if you've ever been around some uh, situation like the fires one year killed a lot of cattle and some of those kinds of things, you've got an immediate problem. Particularly the large livestock, but even in the quantities we're talking about, even some of the smaller ones, you've got an immediate health risk, don't you? You've got to do something. You've got all these. It's like when the frogs piled up. Now you've got these bigger animals all piled up dead. And So this is really a big deal. How else is this a big deal for the folks in Egypt? Why would this be a big deal? Okay. Food, transportation, wealth. I mean, you know, the joke around my family was there was one place we'd go visit every once in a while that uh, they had a lot of cattle and it smelled like that. And my grandfather's favorite saying, that's the first place I heard it. I've heard it lots of places since then, but just ignore that. That's the smell of money. And I'm sure you've heard that. Well, they had the smell of rotting money after all of these animals died. And so they've got this really big mess. Now, in verse 7, Pharaoh checked it out. It, It said it this way, Pharaoh sent, and behold. So he sent, in other words, he sent somebody, go find out what happened with the Israelites. Go over to Goshen, look around, see how many they lost. And so he sent over to check it out, and sure enough, not even one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Now, that ought to get to your attention, had not it? But we know Pharaoh, he's consistent, as just as God is, and so out of his consistency, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened In verse 7, and he did not let the people go. That old saying, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Pharaoh just didn't have any of that in him, did he? He didn't expect another shoe. I mean, if he was expecting some, uh, okay, wonder what God will do to me now? At some point you would think logic would take over, but he had a hard heart. It was sovereignly hard on God's part, but Pharaoh was also hardening his own heart. And so, even amidst this great evidence, Pharaoh's like, not going to let him go. I mean, after all, you already killed all the animals of the field. Can't kill any more animals. That's over and done with. Now, there was an Egyptian god called Apis, uh, sometimes Hap, sometimes Hep, sometimes Happy. He was a bull god. So, when you think about these herds, he was a bull god of fertility and agriculture. Mm-hmm. The image of this bull god will feel good to some farmers. Uh, it was typically a black bull with white markings. Here's your black, I won't say black white face because I don't know that the white was on his face. But this would have been a healthy image of a bull, black and white. And often when they depicted him with statues or in Paintings or whatever they would put, a halo of sunshine above his head. And so, here once again, God is attacking one of their gods. And this god was a major god. This was one of their biggies. And when we get around to talking about it in more detail, if that comes to be, we'll we'll get a chance to see how all these gods work together. You can't really just separate them out in quite the way we're saying it here. Any questions or comments about this first, not first, this fifth plague? They had a goddess, too. Which What? Which goddess? They had a goddess that re- represented a cow also. Okay, all right. Well, they had plenty. They weren't short on gods. Yeah, they were sacred animals. too. Yeah. Um, the, the first time that... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they obviously would have had some personal expense and loss with some of the other plagues, but in terms of killing this typically main um, wealth, I don't know how I want to say it, property, uh, property of wealth, this was really going against who they were and what what they owned. I mean, this is some pretty severe destruction for the land. This... Cattle farmers, I'm not one. My dad was one on a super small scale in a way. But even in his case, just building up a few mama cows so we could do some cow-calf stuff and he'd feed a few out. It took a long time for him to get just a herd of a small number where he wanted it to be. If you want to build up a cattle herd again here, boy, they're going to have a job, aren't they? Don't have much to start with. Well, and maybe they had some back in the barns in this issue of the field maybe, but wow, I mean, this is a huge setback. And if you pay attention to uh, what they talk about on the markets for beef and that, when the food gets short and uh, they have to sell down, now you've got less beef coming up for future years, and these things make a big difference just in the, compared to what happened here, those would be small swings. This is uh, about as big of a swing as you can get. But it's not about their wealth, is it? It's really about God's sovereignty. Um, So let's go ahead. Anything else on on that plague? Other
1: other than the fact that, again, this is the one where Moses doesn't petition Pharaoh (coughs) anymore. He just says, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, he's not looking for a response from Pharaoh. Just like he says it. And you don't ever see Pharaoh changing at heart. His heart's still
0: as hard as it was beforehand. So well n- n- yes, you're right. And and has Pharaoh had his chances? Yeah. I mean, he's made his position clear. He knows what the he knows why these plagues are coming against him. You continue to not let the people go. So <laughs> here, here's your next one. Yeah, that's a good point. I he, thinking how you talk about.
2: colleagues the low students you do it in private and this is a very public confrontation and Davis but he's stubborn and it's just going to keep escalating and he's not going to he just doesn't recognize he's been beaten and he doesn't want to admit that defeat and you so know it just continues to escalate
0: I don't know how they handled their news I mean some ancient um when we when we read through Esther they had the runners and the horses and all of that to take the news throughout the land as quickly as possible. I don't know how Egypt did it, but can you imagine the news release? You get up in the morning, a farmer goes out, oh, my critters are dead. <clears throat> can you imagine the news? I mean, what happened? That's a big question, because I don't know how how much it spread before the event, but certainly after the event, everybody's going to be saying, "Hell, our critters are dead. And uh, think of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh can't just be quiet, can he? I mean, he's supposed to be God and supported and led by the gods of Egypt. And so, yeah, I just can't imagine the news releases and what. How would you like to be the press writer for Pharaoh? <laughs> well, yeah, but it's really okay. Yeah, no, there's no, it's really okay. It's not going to work. Okay, well, let's look at beginning in verse 8 down through 17. and we come to our next plague, the Lord... Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me, for this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. And so as we come into this plague, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, go to the kiln, get some of the soot, and throw it to the sky. And do it as Pharaoh's watching. And so where are they going to go get this soot? So they have kilns. Kilns weren't unknown. As a matter of fact, Pottery is done in kilns, and it, it's, it was all over the ancient world, long before Egypt even. And for whatever it's worth, I've become more, not certainly an expert by any means, but as I've continued to learn more and more and more about archaeology and studying out some of the things that I'm going to bring to you later on. And pottery is... The, 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 it's the main thing. It's what tells them so much, because they can know what date of a they're digging to and so on. So pottery and kilns to fire that pottery were all over. Now there's another possibility, and that was what were the what was the task of the Israelites? Brick. Bricks. Make bricks. And what they make the bricks out of? Mud and straw, clay and straw, however you want to say it. And so some would say, well, this was related to the kilns that they were using to fire these bricks. And that may be. I'm not saying they did not use them, but the normal way of making bricks in this era was sun-dried. So maybe they were kiln-drying them. kiln dryings tougher if you're putting straw in the bricks. The straw doesn't take the heat. And so the purpose of the straw and the bricks can be diminished. I won't say defeated or ruined, but so but yet there's a significant number of people that do think the this came out of the kiln. So I don't know the answer to that for sure. Uh, but nonetheless, from kilns somewhere, and it very well may be from brick making if they fired their bricks, we don't know. Uh, but um, they get this soot. And God tells them to throw it in the air, and there'll be a fine dust that covers all the land of Egypt. Can you can you visualize that for a minute?
1: A special effects time.
0: Wow, I mean, a big yeah, this is this is quite the deal. That's a big handfuls, big handful. yeah. <laughs> clearly, clearly, God is doing something here. And so, as they throw it up, God says, "This is going to become." boils or sores on man and beast all throughout Egypt. And it, the way the text reads it sounds very quick. You know, they throw it up and the boils are there. And it would be impossible to not make the connection that God wants them to make here. You're covered with sores. You've got these boils. It's on your animals. It's on you. And it's because you've not let my people go. And it's just very clear what God is doing. Even in the initiating of this plague, it's clearly a miracle to get this plague all over Egypt uh, through this dust being thrown in the air and so on. So they've done this. They got the expected results. I have a question for you in verse 11. How did this affect the magicians? And as a result, what was the limitation? They couldn't stand before Moses or Pharaoh. Um, It's difficult to be extremely accurate about the role that these magicians play, but it's not difficult to understand their super significant place in Egypt. They were extremely important people. Uh, They used magic and sorcery and through this um, it gave them a religious and political position because you can't separate out the gods of Israel from the political um, power of Israel. The Pharaoh is viewed as somewhat of a deity, as well as led by deities, and so he's speaking on behalf of deities, and he himself is one, and these magicians and sorcerers are a big part of establishing all of that power and keeping all of that in front of the people. Um, The ancient documents tell us of some of their activities. One of their key items, which goes back to and helps us understand the symbol of God's power. What was the symbol of God's power that he gave Moses? A little bit. What's that? The staff. And what did they do with the staff? One way to show God's power, they'd throw it down and become a snake. What did the magicians do? Something similar one of their primary things that these magicians did we would probably call snake charming but they did things with snakes snakes were one of their key figures in what they did with their magician activities and they also had secret arts and witchcraft and and certainly then power may be from Satan as a result, and as the plagues progressed it didn't take very long before they were unable to match what God was doing, so when you see the magicians involved with these plagues, it's very clear that God is slapping them in the face Uh, metaphorically starts out small, God's power shown through Moses and his staff and the snake that resulted ate their snakes God turned everything to blood magicians did a little more but when we get to the flies and the gnats they're done and they even say they're done and that it's God that's doing it but now they can't even be brought before Pharaoh to explain it because they are afflicted with these sores and boils And so they're not just unable to continue to mimic what God is doing in some fashion, but they are directly affected by what God is doing. So in verse 13, early in the morning, he's standing before Pharaoh and he does these things. And God is consistent just as Pharaoh is, let my people go that they can serve me. And in verse 14, we begin to get into Uh, why God is sending the plagues in verse 14 he says um, speaking through Moses but this is what he tells Moses to tell him for this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people for a purpose and that purpose is that you may know there is no one like me In all the earth. And so he's taken the magicians out of the game. In verse 15 he says, by the way, I've gone slow with you. I've been lenient with you in the sense that if I had put forth my hand and struck you and all your people with the pestilence, you would no longer be found on the earth. In other words, I'm continuing this out. And you are continuing to survive. So, what's God saying to Pharaoh in this message? I'm being merciful. I'm being merciful and I'm powerful. powerful, More so than any of your gods. More than any of your gods. And I'm gonna keep on doing this so everybody can see it. That would really be a very strong message of I'm gonna make an example of you and your people. That no one will be able to deny. But in verse 16, I've allowed you to live so that I can show my power and proclaim my name through all the earth. You're here to testify about me, not by agreeing with me, not by supporting me, but in your defiance, you're creating a testimony about who I am, says God. And in verse 17, he says, Still, you exalt yourself against my people. You, Pharaoh, are continuing against me, God, to restrain them. And this is the first plague now that has occurred against the health of the human people of Egypt. Um, Is Israel spared? It doesn't say so, but I think so. If you look at these plagues, the first nine plagues come in groups of three. And at the beginning of the second group, plague four, which is the gnats, that's the first mention, a separation of Israel out to not endure the plague and it certainly appears that separation continues throughout the remaining plagues. In this case, uh, there was a goddess called Sekhmet, and um, Sekhmet was kind of a strange goddess, uh, because Sekhmet would bring the hot sun, would bring plague and disease, but also was the one then that would bring healing and medicine, and uh, she was, she had the shape of a woman, but the head of a lion in most of the representations. And so Sekhmet is their goddess of health, and Sekhmet certainly can't do anything to help them with their health right here. Questions or comments on this plague?
1: Were each one of these plagues a day
0: apart? Well, that's the timing thing, and we don't really know for sure. Um, I shouldn't maybe even say for sure. We really don't know. Uh, Occasionally you can read the context. I'd have to go back and look real quick and I probably can't pick it out with my eyes. Once I get up here, my ability to pick those things out instantly gets tougher. But the context looks like, in in some cases, like the gnats to the flies, I believe it was almost, you can tell it just rolled over quickly. Some of the others, we don't know how long God waited, if he waited at all. This may have all happened back to back to back. The plague of frogs, how long did it go on? We don't know. So how long did this plague of boils last? A day, a week, a month? How long did it take before God had said this one has run its course and started with the next one? Don't really know. One of the, I believe it was John MacArthur, uh, held out that somewhere around six weeks to two months, he thought was the total time. It might might not have been John, but I read one of them recently. and went, oh, this sounds... The way I explained it sounded fairly probable or likely. And he was going, you know, six weeks, four weeks, six weeks, two months. But it wouldn't have had to have been that long. I mean, this could have gone pretty rapidly if God chose to do it. But you would, like the plague of the frogs, it seems to me that the time of dealing with all these dead frogs I'd probably wait till they kind of got things cleaned up and relaxed a little bit if I was God. At least give them a day or so of the frogs are all buried. Oh, oh, by the way, now here we come with the gnats. I, I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I can't put my, myself in the head of God and so on. And, and you ask an interesting question, and I did some reading about it, but it was three or four weeks ago, and I've kind of lost some of that. Um, so I can't really bring the rest of it to mind. Remember, anybody else have any info? Yeah, so,
3: so Pharaoh was afflicted as well. So he mm-hmm. just kind of knocked him down as a deity with his people? Or you know, well, wasn't
0: able to, cure him either? to me, I would think it It makes sense that when the Nile turned to blood, Pharaoh being a deity be over. I mean, he can't do anything about it. His only thing is call out the magicians, and they showed they could do something similar. How did that help? But anyway, as you move down through, it's very clear that Pharaoh um, is, we don't know how public it is when he says, okay, you can take your people. My guess is, human nature being what it is, he didn't shout that from the rooftops. These times in here when he would tell Moses, okay, you guys can go, just get this off of me or off of Egypt or however you might want to say that uh, that the people had to know I mean the people had to be looking and going you know we're in the middle of a disaster Um, and so I mean and not just Pharaoh but I mean the actual what do I want to say idols gods so so-called gods that are being showed as without power. I mean that, that all ties together with Pharaoh. So, I mean, we're not only taking the place of Pharaoh down, we're taking the place of these gods down. And all of those are are inherently linked together in the way their society and the way their culture was constructed. So Anybody that's holding out at this point is holding out um, almost, it would remind you of the phrase about the Jews having a veil that they can't see Christ. You'd you'd have to be very deluded, I would think, to get here. On the other hand, most of us in the world are deluded. We, We tend to think we're important. We tend to think we have some power. I mean... Apart from being humbled by a recognition that I have offended a holy God, and I can't fix it, I can only accept the grace of God. I mean, that—that's the—we come out of delusion to do that, and it's out of a gift of God that He would give us the ability—the the, I don't even want to say the ability—but put within us the knowledge of the truth of who He is. No one can come to the Father unless. The Holy Spirit leads him, so that's that's where we're at, and I think that's where these people are. That's what this is what they've known for a long time, and so maybe they're slow to to let it go. But I would think it would be being obvious, becoming obvious to them that what we've put our faith and hope in is powerless.
1: Pure speculation, but you've spin doctors. Every, yeah, every one of these guys. Is Yep. You know, oh, by the way, this is that God this is uh, unpla- uh, not pleased with you and that's why they've done this sort of thing. But, you, you know, you can see where there were ways that they could have spun this a little bit to, to keep, the again, the general population kind of under control, uh, so to speak.
0: Yep. Well, and another thing to, to say about this, since the time of Joseph, the people have been completely interlinked with Pharaoh for their livelihood. Who who owned all the ground at the end of the Great Famine? Pharaoh. And so Joseph worked out a system where you as people work Pharaoh's ground. You get a percentage, he gets a percentage. I mean, it was a lot like sharecropping. And so these people's livelihood depended upon Pharaoh's government, unless something had changed, it may have, I mean, we've got 430 years about uh, in here before it's all done, 400 years before it's all done, um, and so that that could be a factor as well, so, okay, well, let's go ahead and, somebody me
2: something? I had a I was wondering, mm-hmm. did Pharaoh's that all these things that were happening were coming from God, and they realized because of Pharaoh's being stubborn that it was being caused by him.
0: Well, we we it's don't really have a, a way to know what they, what the man in the street realized. Um, so I don't know how to answer that, but I think to some extent it would have been hard to keep it quiet, at least around the capital city, which, by the way, was in proximity very close to Goshen. I mean they're really out of the same delta that the cities are built up. And so um, the Israelites are close by. Uh, it would have been I think very hard to keep that from being known. But I don't know. I wasn't there. I, you know, I, what, the, what did the man in the street know? I don't know. And of course you've got two things going on there. The other one is, even if the man in the street knew what would he say to his neighbor? I mean it might have been very dangerous to speak up um, in, in Pharaoh's land. I don't know. So So let's look at verses 18 through 26. And this is what it says, um, well, yeah, um, behold, about this time tomorrow, this is God speaking again. He, he's, this is God continuing to speak from closing out his conversation about the boils. About this time tomorrow I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down on them, he will die, or them them, will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the words of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But also he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky that hail may fall on the land of Egypt on man and on beast on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt so that there was hail, and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe. Such has not been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree in the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. So God, as he's talking to Pharaoh about why he's doing this, and in the midst of this pestilence of boils, I'm sending hail about this time tomorrow so God sent hail and it's quite a hail um, it will be very heavy like nothing before in all of your history therefore livestock anything in the field get it to safety everything that's not brought into safety will die and it says the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord sent their people and livestock under their cover of houses and barns, they brought them in from the field, and that gives us a little bit of insight, maybe to the question Claire Marie asked a little bit ago, because there were servants of Pharaoh, who believed that what Yahweh said he was going to do, he was going to do, and then there were some who didn't believe, and they didn't respect the word of God, and they left their servants and animals in the field. So were these ones who believed, were they God followers? Well, at least to a point, but maybe not in the way we would say believers. Um, Clearly there's a demarcation here that the people that God is out to rescue are the descendants of Jacob. Were there others maybe through intermarriage or other things that were a part of following God? and believers maybe, but there certainly were people that at least at a minimum believed now, have reached a point when God says something's going to happen, I'm going to pay attention. In this plague, God gives them a choice. For the first time you can decide, followers of Pharaoh, subjects Egyptians, maybe it would be a better way of saying it, what effect you want it to have on you. If you have something you don't want destroyed, get it inside. Now, there's still limitations, and we'll see that before we're done. But, so the ones who did fear God and His Word got things inside. What were the percentages? Was it two people out of two million? Or half of it? We don't know. But there were some that heeded God's Word and some that didn't. So somehow this is getting out to them. And, um... So the next day, God has Moses stretch out his hand, the hail fell, and it destroyed everything that wasn't in shelter. Not just animals, not just people, but every plant and tree. It was hail, and there was great thunder, and there was great fire, and it just went throughout all of Egypt. Except for where? Goshen didn't have a problem with the storm that day, but everybody else did. So what did this storm look like? Well, I think we could say we probably can't even imagine it. I mean, we can work at imagining it, and we've probably been through some big hail storms. I've been through a couple in my years, um, and I'm not going to tell the stories. It wouldn't add anything to what we're talking about here, but I've seen some bad hail. But one of the things that you rarely see in that is lightning. And is that what they mean by fire here? Or was there balls of fire moving around? I think either one is possible. It certainly could be a massive lightning storm. I've seen some of those too. I saw a tree split from top to bottom from about 30 feet away. That'll wake you up. (laughs) It was the middle of the night, and I looked out the window to see what was going on in time just to be staring right at the tree, and that was something else. Now, imagine that happening to every plant out there. Either the hail or the lightning or the fireballs or whatever they were, was just out of this world. And totally destructive. I I I know the lament of my mom's dad who raised very good crops and did it many years. Didn't have a large farm by today's standard. But it was pretty good for those days and he really liked to grow the wheat but he got tired a few years in a row it got hailed out. And if you go look at a hailed out wheat field, it's just sickening because it's just ugh. And so here they are, and they're hailed out. And not too long before that, they'd lost all the animals that were outside already. So now where did these other animals come from? Were they the ones maybe that were in barns before? Had they already been there's enough time for them to go out and try to buy replacements from other lands? I don't have an answer for that. We're not told. But clearly they are being devastated. This is a second big punch against them their food supply their economy and certainly against who they are as a nation and so here it is shattered the trees and everything can you just I, I'm just thinking about still imagining that show so that's what happened questions comments Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Which that's fascinating too. Go out and read read go out and look up information about the sulfur balls in the area where they were. But I'm not gonna take the time now. Dave, you were gonna say something. Yeah, I would
3: just say uh in this tremendous actually of judgment and destruction that the world probably had not seen since the flood.
0: Afterwards. Yeah, I would say you're right.
3: Mm -hmm. Salvation, because if you read regarding some of the questions about did the Egyptians, some Egyptians believe when they left, there was a mixed multitude that accompanied them. Yeah. So that would mean that there were Egyptians and other Semitic (coughs) groups. The people who were living in Egypt saw what happened and believed on Jehovah and left with the Israelites. Yep. And God even made a uh, means of them to partake of the Passover by being circumcised. So, If you were a Gentile, <coughs> Egyptian, or Semitic who joined the Exodus and you wanted to join yourself with God's people, you could be circumcised as a male and you and your family could participate in the Passover. Mm-hmm. So in this incredible judgment destruction, God's grace
0: You know, even obtaining the fear of God is a merciful thing. I mean, I've come to really value fearing God, realizing the consequences, the power, the sovereignty of God over every part of life, and looking at how he deals with those who offend him. That's, just, that's a gracious thing to gain because it's so valuable. And then on top of that, to know the grace. And that's exactly what, what Dave's talking about is he showed himself to them and there, there are people who follow before it's done. and and, you know there's probably I don't want to make connections God wouldn't want us to make but it reminds me so much of in the New Testament and I couldn't turn right to the verse right now no I couldn't Um, where God makes it clear that the Gentiles who follow Christ become also included in not just being grafted in, and Dave's going to turn to it, but maybe, but um, actually becoming part of the very promise to Abraham, that we become children of the promise just as Isaac was, and I, I can't think of that verse, but... That, that
1: actually follows along with the idea. to the people the other nations. Yeah. Around them. They were we to see be kind of miniature scale, but it's,
0: it's still that yeah. whole concept. Yeah. It, it I was thinking about some of that this week as I was looking at some other things actually. But uh, um, yeah, you know, we're we're along the way, you know, Israel as their birth as a nation and that becomes why they have some of the laws they do and some of the things that are part of they're there to be a testimony of who God is to the other nations. To not to lord it over them, but to attract them to God, to be proclaimers of the truth of God uh, to the world. And they didn't do so well with that. Uh, and God had to step in and do it as well. You got something you want to read there, Dave?
3: Why did you say Ephesians 2? Uh huh. Actually, it's kind of uh, what happened here in Egypt. These people who left is kind of a precursor to God's able to Paul writes, Therefore we remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hand. How mm-hmm. of this? makes what yep. Gentiles uncircumcised. Yep. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Mm-hmm. He and he from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's who you were.
0: Yep. And Yes.
3: That's to this mixed multitude, was, the exact description of them. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the one Christ. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his place the dividing rule of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in order to us that he might create himself one new man. Making peace and my rights, I by the, the cross thereby killing
0: the hostility? So this continues that. Yep, Con- continues that thought of reconciliation. Yeah, we, we would definitely. God
3: demonstrated
0: that already 1,500 years before this. Yep. And, he, for, and God obviously was intentional about and pleased to bring people along. That were ready to follow him through his own sovereign acts that weren't Jews, clear back in that moment. So, yes?
2: So, show my simplicity of thought and my lack of geographical knowledge here, but um, I guess I've always, when I picture this in my brain, I'm thinking, you know, just this small little area, and then you said capital city, and it made me realize this isn't even just like the capital of Kansas Topeka, this is the capital like Washington D.C. and how it would have to spread and I don't know the size of Egypt compared to the United States.
0: Well, much smaller.
2: We know what's happening in the U.S. because of TV and internet and things that way. Pharaoh would have wanted to keep this message of what Moses was saying on the down low I would think and yet God managed to use his people to get it clear across the country of Mm -hmm. Egypt even when you know, man would have wanted to suppress that message. And so again, I just kinda I guess the connection of of how God is getting his message out to the Gentiles despite man's desire to suppress it and just how wide I don't know how you communicate that fast to get from even the top Kansas to Oklahoma.
0: I don't know either but I've been amazed at how quickly a Juicy piece of information can move a couple of miles across the planet Wolf Creek. You you were over here and you left a meeting. You need to go tell your people something. By the time you get there, they're telling you. How in the world? But anyway, I I don't know either how how things move. As far as size is concerned, I don't have in my head a good clear comparison. The thing that I have discovered is You can start an argument about where were the borders of Egypt at this time. There were, in days to come, going to be some pretty clear borders that were pretty broad as compared to the Nile. But I would guess, you know, we're not talking about a place even as big as Texas, probably. All right? Probably. But for sure, the main part of Egypt, and they even looked at this river as their nation, was the Nile you get up to the delta and it widens out and becomes pretty broad when it dumped into the sea or, or, or yeah dumped into the sea up there but it narrowed up the main part of Egypt and was centered around the Nile and its activities but they went up they considered the length of the Nile for quite a ways as a part of their a part of their nation and even began by the time of Joseph to measure the Nile well upstream to know what was coming downstream. And we're going to be talking about that at some point. But listen, we're out of time. We're going to start next time with verse 27. It's not a bad place to break. We're going to get the reaction to this plague and Pharaoh's responses here. And we'll move forward then next week from there into the subsequent plagues. We're leading up to the the passover and that's really huge and then i've also it's been tough but i've got some videos that i've found that i think will be succinct enough to use in class that will help us to see just how definite and real um, the israelites people's existence in in egypt were and their exodus and some other things so I'll see you next week. We'll start with verse 27.